Welcome to The Author's Tale, casual conversations with prominent New Zealand authors, presented by me, Stephanie Froen. These are done in their own homes under COVID-19 conditions, hence the less than perfect sound quality. This is part four of children's book author and illustrator Gavin Bishop's tale. If you are just joining this podcast, I highly recommend you pause and start with part one, especially if you are an author or illustrator, as Gavin shares wonderful snippets of wisdom for you. In this episode, we rejoin his story of Mrs McGinty and the Bizarre Plant, and then we move on to him uncovering his Maori heritage and the incredible discoveries he made along the way. Look at this. There she is. There is Biddy Biddy. So there's the sheep yeah. on the calendar, peeking out from behind a bush. Yeah. That particular bush, is that one with the furry leaves? And it's it on the front cover. Oh, there she is, indeed. Yeah, the very front cover of Biddy Biddy. It's a lamb's ear. It's a lamb's ear. Is on the um, illustration here. This is, it's kind of in the midway, oh no, a few pages into the, into the book. Um, and she's there. Biddy, and that's, Biddy, my, Biddy, that's my auntie Biddy. Barbara's kitchen. Fabulous. Mum's yeah. sister who lived in Lower Hutt. Ah. She lived in a state house. Yeah. And her kitchen was just like that. Fabulous. And so I had her in the back of my mind the whole time when I was doing this book because she was one of those people whose only son and husband, when they died, she was there on her own mm-hmm. in this house. And I, always, I would always go and see her when I was up there. And she would take me around her garden and she would say, don't you think it's looking nice and tidy? And that's because everything had been obliterated. <laughs> she had a ba- her backyard was a lawn yeah. with a concrete path that went straight down the middle of it. And at the far end of that was the rotary clothesline. And on either side was a strip of lawn. On either side of the lawn was a flower bed with nothing growing in, in it, it, just raked, tidy soil because she was obsessed with keeping control on her little world Mm. and that's what Mrs McGinty that's where I got the idea of Mrs McGinty you see that she's outside and the first picture we see of Mrs McGinty Mm -hmm. is of her snipping a little twig off a bush because it's got out of control Mm. indeed and so that's um so all of my books are actually based on uh, my own experiences. and Yeah. But see, there's your shorter rise, and we only see the yeah, to right. slowly, kind of only just there, yeah. emerging. And then as we go through the book... Did you ever see The Factory before it was demolished? Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I remember yeah. there was such an uproar about The Factory being demolished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. rightly so. Oh, it was a shame. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they asked Briley, who owned it, yeah. uh, to perhaps allow uh, Linwood High School to take it over as mm. a uh, dramatic arts school, yes. as a dramatic arts yeah. department. Facility, yeah. Facility. And he said no. He had it demolished. Mm. And it was a shame because yeah. it was iconic. Yeah, absolutely iconic. It was a fabulous building. Yeah. Fabulous building. Yeah, it was. Absolutely, Absolutely. stunning. Yeah. So... And the house, the actual house on the back cover... Yes. That is an Aldwins Road. It is a real house. And it is a real house. Yeah. So, yeah, so just going back to um, 
yeah, the, the thinking of, yeah, how you approach, this is, a, this is your work. Do you feel that um, there are some writers who don't approach it enough like, I don't want to use the word job, but... Um, it is a job. It is, yeah. Also, the other thing is, these books take so long to produce that you have a lot of time to revisit uh, things, ideas. Yeah. So, um, because I go through and through and through and through the text, yeah. and then the illustrations, and because I still draw everything by hand on a piece of paper, and so my, the process of making an illustration for one of my one of these illustrations yeah. would go through many, 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 many stages. So I'd start off with a very, very rough scribbly sketch yeah. to try and capture the idea that I've got in my head on a bit yeah. of paper. Then I would redraw that sketch and put the text into position. And then I would take a piece of tracing paper and retrace trace that drawing transfer it to another piece of paper which I would then draw again in pencil and then I would draw again in ink and then I'd start painting it over the top. Wow. Well, it's, yeah. it's stupid really. No, it's my process. Because now it is my process but it's it's still stupid because today people do that much more quickly digitally. On an iPad. On their computer or, or an iPad yeah, you see. Yeah. But I don't I like the business of actually physically Make, yeah. But what it does do is it gives you the opportunity yeah. to keep revisiting yes. it, to keep uh, reviewing mm. what you're doing. Yeah. So that's why I slip in these indulgences like bitty bitty on the calendar, <laughs> um, a pair of old fluffy slippers underneath the couch, yeah. or because in Mrs. in Mother Hubbard. I wanted to make a reference to the fact that Mother Hubbard was actually married, but we don't see her husband, but we can see his slippers underneath her, t underneath her bed. So he is there. <laughs> He's there, yeah. but he just doesn't he happen to come out into the book. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I mean, oh, I, seriously, I, we could just talk forever, and I know, I'm so conscious of the time, so I need to, let's push on. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm going to so, do? Right? I'm going to go and turn the hose off. Oh, you're going to turn the hose off, and I'll... You can have a break. At this point, Gavin and I have been chatting for about two hours. He needs to turn the hose off before he causes a flood. Then we rejuvenate ourselves by eating cake and drinking coffee. Another thing that um, I find wonderful about your work is, the, is your connection to your Māori ancestry mm -hmm. and heritage. And it, and it does seem to be really strong, along with your European heritage, yeah. but you've managed to bring the two together Yes. in this um, world of being a writer illustrator was it were you raised in an environment that had both there for you so it just was seamless it just was part no of, it wasn't no no in fact my brother and I have talked about this many 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 times and he wrote a thesis for his doctorate some years ago on family and what must have happened, <clears throat> especially mum's family. Mm. Um, Dad's family were English, and they, I, I only know fragments of their background, 
but they were very connected to the military mm-hmm. and had been for generations. Mm-hmm. So one of Dad's ancestors was Captain Hardy mm-hmm. of Nelson's ship. And in fact, the name Hardy was used amongst male members of the family right down to Dad's brother, who was mm. George Hardy mm. Bishop. That's his side of the family. They came out from England and settled in Dunedin and had a farm up at Highcliffe up on the peninsula on the way out mm. to Glanix Castle. Um, Mum's family, though, is the one that has intrigued me because... We, as I was born in Invercargill, mm-hmm. so Russell, my brother, and I, we were born and raised in Invercargill. Um, Mum was one of five, and her father was Maori, and he had come from up north. We were told up north. Up north, yeah. Nobody ever knew anything more than that. We knew nothing. He had deliberately not told his family anything about his background. He had a sister who lived at Fort Rose. Her name was Catherine. Fort Rose is a township that lies at the far southern tip of the Catlins area in the Southland region of New Zealand. And so the two of them lived in Southland brother and sister, mm-hmm. my granddad and his sister. They, he had been, we've only found, we found out all this, anything I'm going to tell you is yeah. we found out later after he, well, I never met him because no. he died before I was born. Mm. Now, the weird and intriguing and tantalizing and frustrating thing about the whole family is that my grandfather was born in 1847. Yeah. Now, nobody has a grandfather born in 1847. No, I'm thinking he was... I'm interrupting briefly here because over the next few minutes, Gavin explains the time frame within which his grandfather and his descendants are born. And it's quite complicated and a little unusual. You can almost hear the cogs whirling in my brain in the long pauses we take, getting our heads around it all. Hopefully, there'll be enough time for you to do the same. It's, yeah, okay, continue. So he died in 1935. Wow. As a very old man. Yeah. He got married when he was, he came down to, he came down to South, he went down South, because yeah. his sister had been, had gone to Southland with her husband. Yeah. In 1860-61. So this is really, this is all around the the Māori Wars time. Absolutely. And surely a lot of the Māori were brought down from up north to, well, with slave labour, to do a lot of the work, to do roads and... Yes, but they weren't weren't part of that. They weren't part of that because their father was a Scot. Mm. Their mother was Māori. Now, when I was brought up, uh, my granddad was born in 1847. Yeah. He got married when he was 48. Wow. Yeah. He married a 24-year-old yeah, white woman. Yeah. And her, her siblings never spoke to her again. Mm-hmm. She was ostracized. Yeah. They had five children. The youngest was my mother. 
Those five children were born over a 20-year period. So when my mother was born, yeah. her father was 65. So she was born at the end of the First World War. Yeah. By the time I was born, he had died 10 years before yes. I was born. Yeah. He, the only thing he ever told my mother was that he had given her all the names. That's all he ever said. Wow. Now, she didn't know what that meant. But her name, her first name was Doris. <laughs> Second name was Rihapeti, ah. Elizabeth. Yeah. Third name was Hinapo. Mackay. Yeah. Mm. That's all she knew. Yeah. She didn't... I don't know whether she, she may not have been more... She may not have been interested. Or he, he deliberately played down all his Māori connections and his Māori knowledge, his family stories. He didn't share any of those with her. He may have with the older kids, but when I... But both Russell and I were aware of a lot of suppression. Yeah. So whenever the family or any Māori things were mentioned, there were, it was always cloaked in vague, vague language, like Grandad came from somewhere up north. <laughs> and he had Māori connections. That's all we were told. Mm. Well, anyway. Yeah, I guess he... Um he, he was of that time that there was yeah. shame attached to the whole thing. Um, you were smacked his, if you spoke Māori at school. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so you didn't want your kids no, to go through that. to be ostracised for no, being Māori. No, mm. no. And so he was brought up, educated at Munsell's Mission School at Tekohanga on the Waikato River. Wow. And I've been reading about those, and they were horrendous, Rindous. hideous. Uh, it was a boarding school, mm. and the kids were all rammed into these terrible rooms. Some boys had only a shirt to wear, no clothes. Right. This is midwinter mm. in the Waikato. Uh, the food was appalling, and because they were underfunded by the Anglican Church, the kids all had to work on the farm. Mm. So a lot of the days they were spent farming, yeah. and then lessons where they were taught the tributaries of the Danube. How helpful. Mm. And anything Māori was squashed. Yeah. And uh, even though Mansell himself could speak Māori, he learned that when he arrived in New Zealand, I was reading the other day. Um, but anyway, so in 1990, my brother and I decided to find out a bit more about Grandad's family. Yeah. So we knew by then that the two names that Mum had been given, Irihapiti and Hinapo, must yeah. be family names. So we didn't know quite where to start, but we had we had somebody had told us that they had connections in Fakatani. Yeah. So we flew to Fakatani. We honestly had no idea what we were doing. What an adventure. It was an adventure. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Yep. So we flew to Fakatani. Yep. When we got to Fakatani, got a taxi and went to the museum. And we said to the guy, and the guy suddenly he sort of it was it was weird. Now both Russell and I have said this to each other 
without any prompting, we felt there was an invisible hand ah. guiding us for the whole week. Wow. Now, I'm not a spiritual person at all, but this was a spiritual occasion. Yeah. We arrived at the, at, the, at the museum. The guy behind the counter, he said, what are you boys looking for? <laughs> boys at the age of however old you were. Flattering. <laughs> he says, well, actually, we're looking for family, but we're not quite sure where to start. Yeah. He said, well, what are, the, what, are the, what, are, what are the names you've got? I said, we don't have any family names, no. except Mackay. Yeah. But I said, we don't have any Maori family names, but we do have Hinapo and Rihapiri. He said, well, there are quite a few Hinapo living around here. And he said, there's somebody out at Purupuru, out at the Marae, who might be able to help you. And her name is Ina, Ina Chamberlain. So we got in the, we hired a car, drove out to Purupuru, found the house we'd been told to go to, knocked on the door, and this elderly woman came out. She's much older than us. And she said, uh... You know, can I help you? And we said, well, we are the grandsons of Benjamin Mackay. And she stopped and looked at us and she said, you can't be, because he died without issue. We said, no, he didn't. He had five children. The youngest was my mother. And she said, goodness me, come on inside. Well, we wow. went inside. Ina, her name was short for Hinapo. Mum's name. Yeah. And her grandmother was our grandfather's sister. The guiding hand. Just the two or three of them, there were um, 15. 15 in my grandfather's family. Wow. Wow. His mother, Rihapeti, we have now found now, mm -hmm. after many more years, it's taken a long time, mm. but as I keep saying, things have presented themselves to them to us. Yeah. If I go onto the internet, I find something else yeah, yeah. that presents itself mm. to me. Mm. I found, we now know, her name was Irihapiri Te Paiahaho Te Ferofero. She was the oldest daughter of Te Ferofero, the first Maori king. It's wow. just amazing. That is amazing. Her mother was Hinapo mm. from Whakatane, yeah. Natiawa, Poroporo. That's why Ina Chamberlain yeah. was there, because her grandmother was one of the Irihapeti's children who had been sent there to live with her grandmother or mm. something, or great-grandmother, something like that, yeah. um, when her first husband died. He was drowned, and she couldn't cope. She had all these kids. She had 12 children to him. Mm. And a lot of them, of course, were educated in the mission boarding schools. So we then went from Whakatane to um, Hamilton and then to Narawahia yeah. because it was the, the week of the um, coronation celebrations for the Maori Queen. And so we knew that the next name, Irihapiri, was obviously going to be connected there. So we turned up. We didn't know quite what to do, so we stood outside and we joined a group when we were called on, you know, yeah. uh, 
and we were called on to the Marae and we went in and we just very humbly sat down quietly and we were sitting there. And again, somebody came up to us and said, you know, what are you boys looking for? What are you, what are you looking for? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who, who are you? What are you here for? And we said, oh, well, we're looking for family members. And we said, we're looking for, for descendants of the Mackays. He said, this person said, I think you should go and have a talk to that guy over there. His name is Rua Cooper. So we went over and there's this elderly gentleman, Maori. He looked quite parkier, but he was Maori. And he was another cousin. His grandmother had been our granddad's sister, sort of stuff Hi. like that. Yeah. And he'd been, and he, she had died early on. And so Rua Cooper had been brought up by Princess Tapuia. Wow. And he took us back to his caravan and adopted us formally into the family. Wow. Wow. It was That's fabulous. Oh, no, it was incredible. An incredible experience. Absolutely incredible. I bet you woke up every day thinking, what's going to happen I know, next? I know. Well, it kept happening. It kept happening. <laughs> because after that, I said to Russell, I said, look, I said, I've got enough now. This is enough for me. He says, right, we'll go up to Auckland. <laughs> And we'll fly home from Auckland. I said, yeah. okay. So we drove up to Auckland. We had a day in Auckland. And I said, look, I've just got a feeling we need to go to the Anglican Diocesan Centre in Parnell. <laughs> so we drove out to this place. And again, mm. uh, the person behind the counter said, oh, is there anything we can help you with? And I said, well, our granddad and his family lived in, on the Waikato, and went to one of the mission schools in Waikato. We didn't know what the name was or anything like yeah. that. She said, well, well, actually, we do have an old book here. She said, it's, it's lost its cover. But she said, the, the innards are still there, handwritten. And it's the baptismal records from Tekohanga in the 1850s, wow. 18, late 1850s. She said, I'll get you that. So she went up, she found that and brought it out. We looked through it, and here on one page was about six of the family, including our granddad, who had all been baptised by Bishop Selwyn. Wow, wow. 1854, or something like yeah. that. We were shaking by that stage. Yeah, I we thought, oh my God, this is amazing, utterly amazing. Because mm -hmm. if I'd had my cell, I didn't have a cell phone. No. But if I'd had a cell phone, I'd have snapped yeah, yeah, the, yeah. snapped it. You know, yeah. didn't have anything. So we flew home. And I was actually, it was just incredible. So a, a few, a couple of years later. So this was 1990, 1994. Russell became involved with members of the family that we'd found. Yeah. Offspring. Now, four of the members of, of the 12 had remained in the Waikato and had lived there and bred 12, 13, 14 children each. Wow. So there were hundreds oh, of people, yeah, hundreds. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, what happened was they organised a family reunion and we had it at Port Waikato where Iriha Petty and her Scottish husband had lived for 20 years and produced their 12 children wow. at Port Waikato. So we went there and had this big, big family reunion in 1994. And they said if all of the descendants of Vidya Petty turned up, there'd be 6,000 people here. Oh, my Lord. 
So that's what we've got to the stage now where we've got this enormous network. And because our grandfather was old, Mm. when my mother was born, Mm. Russell, my brother and I, are probably two of the closest remaining relatives to the Maori king, first Maori king. Wow. Because he died in 1860. Mm. And... uh, my great-grandmother, Itihapiti, was born 200 years ago yeah. in, 19, in 1820. Mm. And, so, and then, there's only, there's, then Russell and I are not that far removed, no, you see, generation-wise, you see. You're not, yeah. Most other people at the family reunion who were our generation, who mm. came along, they're all dead now, mm. they were all in their 80s. Yeah. And we should have at that time been in our 80s too, if yeah. things had yes. happened logically. Yes. Wow, um, that's so exciting! I know it's so. It keeps me going. Yeah, it charges me. Mm. It keeps me. I just think. So I'm writing a book at the moment about the New Zealand wars. Wow, and I'm going to thread da- yeah. Granddad's family all through it. Yeah, because he was he was 16 the day the gunboats came up wow. the river for the first wow. time. Wow, and so I found out. I've worked out all the ages mm. of the family, mm. how old they would have been at various stages mm. of the war. Yes. You know, and um, yeah. So he left. His sister left just before the wars. Yeah. And went south down to Southland, and he went down ten or so years later when her husband drowned, so he oh. could give her a hand. Yeah. Um, but some of the family became interpreters uh, for some of the land courts. Mm. Others became teachers. Others became farmers. Some married Maori people. Mm. Some married Pākehā people. Mm. But Grandad obviously chose to go Pākehā. Mm. Yeah. And when we had this family reunion, it was very interesting. It was like a cross section of yeah. New Zealand because there were people as white as us. Yeah. There were people as black as your hat. Yeah. And we were all. Yeah. quite closely related and there was one Maori woman who lived at at Tūranga Waiwai mm. and, and was and worked with the Maori Queen at the time she was still alive she came up and took my hand she said I never thought I have a cousin as white as you <laughs> how brilliant is that <laughs> maybe that's but to finish the whole story because yeah. there's, there's a lot that's going on and on no, but no, to finish no, the whole story <laughs> We're going to end part four of Gavin Bishop's tale there. Join me next time to find out how this part of his life journey ends, or does it? Thank you for listening to The Author's Tale. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. For more information about the authors, you can go to the podcast webpage, where you can also rate, review and share. More information about Gavin Bishop can also be found at his webpage, gavinbishop.com. The Author's Tale is produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. It's engineered at Plains FM and it is made with help from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Community Scheme.